0: a look at college football news analysis and insight from around the sunshine state this is florida football insiders a part of the college gridiron coast-to-coast podcast Network. and here's your host jason powers welcome to the florida football insiders podcast i'm your host jason powers i want to thank steve carney for the excellent intro music Steve is our quarterback of the of the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Podcast Network. I encourage you to subscribe to the podcast network. You're gonna hear podcasts from all over the country talking all things college football. I'm one of nine podcasts as part of the network, so definitely subscribe, rate, and review to our podcast. And then we got some other podcasts if you're interested in other Parts of college football around the country, from Alabama to Louisiana, ACC, SEC, Big Ten, Big 12, Pac-12. You know, obviously all things here in the state of Florida. We're going to talk here on the Florida Football Insiders. Got a great episode for you this week. We're going to talk to, we have a weekly guest going to be joining us every single week of the football season. Former USF head coach Jim Levitt is going to join us in a segment I'm going to, we're going to call The Coach and the Kicker. We're going to talk all things coaching, state of Florida football, storylines going on in the state of Florida. So Coach Jim Leavitt is going to make his debut performance this week uh, as part of the Florida Football Insiders. Also going to talk to J.P. Peterson. Uh, we're going to talk LSU, Florida State. And we're also going to talk to Matt Zemeck. Matt's going to give us a preview of BYU-USF as well as Utah, Florida. Matt's based out on the West Coast, going to talk Utah and BYU, give a little sense of the BYU, those two rosters and what to look for in these games. We've got a good slate of games in the state of Florida. Quick uh, recap, Florida State, impressive victory, 47-7. FAU, a very quality conference win to start their season, 43-13 over Charlotte. So good job, Willie Taggart and Mike Norvell. But again, big matchups this week in the state of Florida in the swamp napier makes his debut as utah comes a calling saturday seven o'clock usf byu in tampa on saturday at four fsu lsu sunday night national tv seven thirty. miami's hosting bethune cookman on saturday fau travels to ohio to say the bobcats and then two thursday night games ucf south carolina state and fiu and bryant so a full slate of uh games for the state of florida but again Great episode for you. This we're going to talk Coach Jim Levitt to kick it off. Then we're going to JP Peterson and we're going to wrap it up with Matt Zemick. We're also going to give you an FIU team preview as well with Eric Henry. Eric's a co-managing director of Underdog Dynasty. So Eric's going to, me and Eric are going to break down the FIU Panther roster for you heading into the 2022 season. New coach Mike McIntyre, lots of changes in uh, in the FIU program. So we're going to break it all down with Eric Henry. So Action-packed episode for you. Appreciate you finding us. Again, check us out. It's part of the College Gridiron Coast-to-Coast Podcast Network. Send us a tweet. We'd love to hear from you. At JPO Sports is my Twitter handle. Love to hear from you. Feedback, comments, and again, subscribe, rate, and review to the Florida Football Insiders. Enjoy the episode. Okay, it is with great pleasure. Welcome back to the Florida Football Insiders Podcast. We've got an awesome new contributor that's going to be joining the podcast this year, both the Florida Football Insiders and the Powers on Sports uh, podcast. We're going to kind of simulcast this segment of the episodes each week. We're going to call this segment The Coach and the Kicker, and we are bringing in Coach Jim Levitt, former USF head football coach, has been a defensive coordinator all over the country at several locations, has been a coach in the National Football League, Just a great career, story, career, of 40-plus years in coaching. He took the University of South Florida to the number two team in the country in 2007. He's won over 90 games as a head football coach, unbelievable, great record at USF. Again, he's coached all over the country. Uh, And again, we are going to talk to Coach about lots of different things in the coaching world, uh, decisions coaches make in-game, recruiting stuff, uh, his career a little bit. But we're going to make this a great uh, segment throughout the college football year. So welcome to the podcast, Coach Levitt. All right, Jason, let's go to work. I hear you. I hear you. (laughs) Well, that's the theme of of the episode. Obviously, your job as a coach has just started. All these coaches have been uh, busting their butts all spring and all summer to get to this point. Some of the coaches started last Saturday. Most everybody starts this week. Just talk talk to the audience about the anticipation of going through all the spring drills, all the summer stuff, all the training camp practices to finally get to
1: week one. Well, you want to win your opener. I mean, I remember when I, you know, I was the head coach of South Florida. I think, well, I don't know if we ever lost many openers. I think, yeah, I don't know if we lost any. I'm um, sure we did. Uh, I think we lost Penn state up there when Paterno uh, was there. Um, but we won most all our openers and we made a real, um, we really focused on that. You know, it's, you want to, you want to come out well and you want to come out, uh, you know, winning that first game, but it's, um, you know, you never know how things are going to go because you practice so much and you don't, you don't really have any film, you know, that you can have film for the year before. If they went to a bowl game, you have that film, right. but right, you don't have any film unless you want to try to be illegal and send somebody over there and watch practices. But, Um, you know, that, and and back in the day, people did that. So, you know, they don't do it anymore, but, uh, but they do, you'll call, like you might call a a rival college as close to school you're playing and just kind of ask them, what have you heard? Yeah. Uh, you know, have you seen any of the practices, um, you know, that still goes on, uh, trying to get as much information as you can. But like I said, Jason, you don't have any film. So, you always tell your team you've got to be ready for things that they're gonna do that we're not prepared for. You got a couple uh, of injury, a itching
0: situations in the state of Florida. You got a couple of new coaches, Miami and Florida. the Their opponents, they don't know what they've done at those new schools. so how do you how do you prepare against a guy who was at another school the previous year and is coming to a new place and you're having to play them potentially
1: week one? Well you find out who their offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator are? Uh, you make sure you find out where they were. Because if they weren't at the school that you're going to play, you go back and you try to get as much film from where they were, you know, at least the last three or four games uh, on both sides to do the best you can, you know, thinking that, hey, they're going to probably run what they've done, especially if somebody has a resume and they've been in it for a while, Uh, you know, but again, trying to gather as much information as you can. And then you look at your head coach's background and kind of what, what he's done, where he's been. Yep, yep. Uh you certainly can look at their personnel because you know and sometimes like it might be a quarterback that's a freshman, and you got to go back and you got to look at high school tape, right? And your or junior college tape, and you'll show your players uh, maybe highlights of what they do. Can they, do they run? Do they do they run the option? Is it a quarterback that's going to you know be a drop back guy? But you know that's the most important position on a team, so you're going to find out as much information about the quarterback as you can. So, talk to me about
0: you. I'm sure you've been in both of these positions as as you know at USF and other places. You've kind of been the guy. You've been the team that the other team is expecting to beat in week one, and then you've been on the other side of it when you when you're playing somebody you expect to beat. How does the preparation vary when you're in a quote unquote tough game week one or versus a team that you're supposed to beat week one?
1: Well, I you know I never focus on winning or losing a game. I never talked to the players about you have to win this game or this, you know, you, we all know we want to win. That's a byproduct of the play. You know, right. to me, every, all the years I was at South Florida, I always told them to focus on one play at a time. We win enough plays, we'll win the game. If we don't, we won't, you know, take all the pressure off, yep. you know, uh, off the players go out there and just play. It's so important that they can, you know, there's a fine line. <laughs> Between getting ready and being too relaxed or too tight, you know, you want them to be able to go out and play and do their thing. And but I always focus on don't focus on winning a game. I focus on your play. Is it easier? Yeah. Is it easier for a guy like Billy
0: Napier at Florida to know we got Utah top ten team coming to town as opposed to if they were playing. Pick a school X that maybe wasn't very good or wasn't perceived to be very good. The focus and training camp of the of the attention to detail, those
1: kind of things, getting ready for week one. Uh, probably, you know, um, you you know, when you don't play somebody that's a name of school, you always worry about whether your guys will really, you know, play to the level they need to play, and you know, not play down to a level. You've got Utah coming in. <clears throat> There's a number of good things about that. As you're right, they'll pay attention to Utah. They know they're a very good team. Uh, they're in a very good conference. They're well coached. Their head coach has, a, has done a great job. He's been there forever. Uh, and they're a very physical team. Yep. They're going to play very hard. Uh, and you want to come out of the blocks right away. You want to get started right away because you got to fly all the way from Utah all the way out to, uh, you know, uh, you know, that, that trip's not easy. It's the same thing I was talking to, uh, BJ Daniel just the other day. He was over at, south florida about byu coming in so it's interesting you got two teams coming from that far yes, away from utah from the same state both playing, the state of utah. playing south florida and florida but i told bj you want to come out right away at the beginning of the game you got to come out hard you got to come out um, because they've had such a long trip uh it's a new environment for them uh you know you, you don't want to you don't want to start slow all right
0: since we're talking about the, them coming to florida Give the audience a little perspective. You've coached all over the country in all different kinds of weather environments. Talk to me about what the weather environment of them coming from Utah to the heat of Florida is going to be on that Saturday for those
1: kids. Well, you know, they're not going to get, they're not going to be used to it. And of course, I've faced BYU before and and, uh, Utah. And in fact, it's interesting when I was at uh, Oregon, you know, we certainly played uh, Utah. Uh, when I was in Colorado, we played them as well. Yeah, uh, but yep. I also recruited that state. It's really you know they're, they're going to have good players. There's no question. BYU is ranked really high. Utah is. But getting to your point, the humidity, the heat, uh, you know, um, they're not going to be used to that. They can try. They can right. go to an Great. indoor facility if they even have one and try to <clears throat> make it as hot as they can to practice. Some people do that, um, but it, it's not the same. And that's why you want to you want to come out. Going right away, and uh, also you got to understand getting into the fourth quarter is going to be really huge when you do get to it because you're going to hope that your guys are uh, you know are ready for that. You depth. Know, this is where uh, your depth comes the in. Depth of being important, but also, but also being ready. You know, have practice in that kind of right. Uh, you know that temperature and humidity, and uh, the players understand uh, they've been through being very tired at the end of practice. Uh, when it's been like that. So, uh, yeah, it'll be different for those guys. It's not going to be easy for uh, for Utah or BYU to come in here.
0: Talk about the advantages of playing in week zero versus week one. You had, you had Florida State got to play last week, kind of a, a tune-up game, all that kind of stuff before they head to LSU. You've got, um, you know, FAU played last week as well. Talk about the advantage of getting to play that week zero week versus having to start week one or the
1: disadvantage. Uh, uh, to me, it's a huge – it's a huge advantage because you really you get to know what you have. You, you get, you're going out there as far as penalties wise you get to you know get out there and just play and you know monitor the clock and uh, the game management, all those type of things. you get to know the communication between your defensive staff and offensive staff and, and the players get to understand you know communicating all those things are really big. They go out and play and you get to evaluate you get to evaluate uh, the, the players you have. Um, for FAU, it's a, it was a great win for them because yep. Charlotte's a good football team. Yep. You know, Charlotte lost their quarterback, who is a tremendous player, and that really hurt Charlotte. But the confidence that FAU will have and Coach Taggart having his staff is going to be enormous. Uh, the way they won the game and they played very well in offense and defense uh, for Florida State. You know, they didn't play a team. They, I thought the team they played was pretty well coached. Um, and uh, Duquesne, I, I just – you know, the talent level is so different. I don't sure, know how much sure. that's going to help them right, as they go to LSU because it's such a different barometer there. So, I think FAU will be helped a lot more than F- FSU.
0: And with the FAU situation, that was a conference game. I mean, how important to right. get a great start, win a conference home game in week zero. You know, that's obviously one less you got to play – and it's, you know, something obviously those both those staffs had, had really put this, the time into this offseason because it was a conference game.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, Coach Taggart, you know, comes follows Lane Kiffin who <clears throat> won the conference two, two of the three years. Yeah. He comes in, and I was with him the first year, and we had a uh, – we played pretty well. We went to, um, went to a bowl game. Uh, and um, – but then last year they had a losing season. Right. So this is a huge year uh, for FAU <clears throat> you know they because of who he's followed and, you know, right. the expectations for right. FAU and, and and expectations should be high. There's no reason for FAU not to uh, have a great chance to win that conference every year. I mean, they got great facilities, got great location, recruiting, all of it. And he's been there for it's his third year and he's got a very good defense coordinator, good offense coordinator. So, you know, the expectations are high, but. Uh, that was, that's big with a conference game. Yes. Real big. Speaking of
0: expectations, you know, obviously pressure, a little bit of pressure, Mike Norvell, Florida State, Willie down at FAU talk about you as a coaching staff, you as the head coach, you as a coaching staff. How do you guys, I mean, you don't probably don't ever openly talk about that a whole lot, but how does that, does that disseminate through the room of the coaching staff when you know, Hey, we've struggled maybe a year that we weren't supposed to, there's expectations on us to good. And we think we have a good football team. There's expectations. How do you handle that as a coaching staff within the room?
1: You've got to win. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's, It's not complicated. You know, you, you and a way to win is to, you know, like I said, have more better snaps than the other team. Yeah. But, you know, you, especially the state of Florida, you just you can't lose. You know, and when I was up at Florida state, you know, I was there just as an analyst and, I was blown away by the, by the whole situation. I, I could not understand why Florida state wasn't and still in a power. Right. I mean, I love that stadium. I they people can see what they want. I mean, I've been in trailers at South Florida. I've been in some bad situations. Yeah. Uh, Oregon certainly had beautiful facilities, but um, there's no reason with the location, with the tradition, with what coach Bowden had done with uh, uh, with the state of Florida, with yeah. everything, that Florida State shouldn't. Uh, you know, there's no reason they shouldn't dominate. And you know, the, the problem Florida State's had before was just those. Uh, you know, you have to get a great quarterback. You know, you got to make sure you're you're really good right. there. And FAU, same thing. I mean, there's there's no reason that uh, they shouldn't win most all their games. <clears throat> I mean, those two those two programs, you know, their their location, everything is is all there you know, you got to work, you know, and you got, your whole staff's got to, got to be in it together. <clears throat> they, 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 they've got to, and your staff is so critical. It's so critical that you hire well and that you hire people that don't have egos and that people are going to work very hard uh, and love the players and care about the players. And, you know, that's, you know, that's so important. And I mean, that's, it's gotta be real. Uh, and, um, and you got to have great recruiters, but, but expectations and you do, you know, you don't talk about it. You know, we're here to win games and you're here to coach and do a great job teaching your, your players. You know, I never worried about the position coaches and talking to media or going to give talks here or there. You know, I said, the bottom line is this, you got to teach and coach your player, your position group. If you don't do that, then we got issues, all the rest of the stuff I'll handle, you know, as a head coach. So
0: yeah, I mean, that's one again. One of the great things we're going to try to do on this podcast with Coach Levitt each week is get into some of these littler things that maybe you don't, that, the, the, the average fan doesn't realize is going on with the coaching staff, recruiting, all these kind of things. So we're going to try to get into all these kind of things because there's all these un, undue pressure that, you know, we all think we as fans, we all know what's going on inside of a co- program. We probably have no idea all the different challenges and all the different things that you guys as coaches have to deal with, whether it's within your own staff, with the players, with the university, with the community, whatever. There's so many little things that go into making a program good or mediocre or or struggle. So talk about the hire at Miami with Mario Cristobal. I'm sure you probably have known Mario a little bit and probably have have had some dealings with Mario. You think he's going to be a good fit, and what's going to make him successful down there? Miami's kind of gone the road of bringing their old guys home Mark Richt, Randy Shannon, now Mario. What's going to make it different with Mario that maybe wasn't with with Coach Richt and uh, Randy Shannon?
1: Well, the one thing good about Mario is he has passion for that area. He grew up there. He played at Miami. And, you know, I always felt like if you have that kind of passion for a job that you're going to put your life into it, you know, and Mario will do that. You know, Mario's not real great at offense as far as all that. He doesn't know defense, kicking games. He's a game line coach. He's an he's an coach. And you know, but Mario's deal is recruiting. Yeah. That's what he does. And, and is. it's it's he works at it. And he's gonna hire a staff that all recruits. And Mario, what for Mario to be successful, he needs just needs to hire a great offense coordinator and get out of his way. And hire a great defense coordinator and get out of his way. Same thing with specialty coordinator. Right. And just do what Mario does, recruit. And If he does that, he'll have success. If he doesn't, probably won't. You know, he, he just just got to stay out of all, stay out of the way of those coordinators and let them do their job. How and hard is that? How hard is that to do as a head coach? Sometimes. Well, you know, for me, uh, you know, I I hired offense coordinators and let them do their job, and they did a great job. I I I told them to protect the football and score.
0: <laughs> that's <laughs> you know, all. I, just I don't made, turn it made, over I and made, score every time.
1: Right. I didn't have I didn't have the ego. Now I'll make that decision, you know, as far as going forward on fourth down. Yeah. Yeah. Or what we're gonna do in the, the red zone. You know, and uh, but I didn't call the plays. You know, I wasn't doing it during the week of practice, so I wasn't gonna do it in a game. Uh you know, uh defensively, of course I got more of a background there. Uh did but the call, same thing. Did you call plays as the head coach on defense? Well, I did the first four or five years at South Florida. But then I, you know, we were trying to hold on to our program. Right. I mean, you got to remember I went through three presidents, three ADs, right. We didn't have a lot of money. Uh, you know, sure. we had, to, I, we had to build a foundation and I was still out marketing the program so much that uh, Rick Kravitz was there. And then I hired Wally Burnham. Right. They did a great job on defense. I'll tell you what I did. I ended up running the specialty teams. The last five or six years, I, I handled all the specialty teams and, and, uh, and I really enjoyed doing that, uh, because all the other coaches didn't really want to do it that bad. Right. Right. (laughs) And I, I knew that it was so important. So, uh, so I did that and it worked out, it worked out pretty well, to be honest with you. It was, it was good.
0: And that, that, and that allows you to still keep in contact with both sides of the ball, kids on both sides playing the different teams that you needed them to play and, and still keep those relationships where you maybe weren't as involved on the
1: offensive side. You're right. I mean, exactly right. And um, the only time the coaches were mad is because if I had punt team or whatever during practice and they weren't doing it right, I didn't worry about time periods. I just I did it until <laughs> it got it again. done. Let's do it again. And we're going to cut down on the, on the offensive defense. <laughs> so, And they weren't going to say anything because I was the head coach. So that's the way it is. <laughs> Yeah, I remember Coach Burnham. He was, I think, the linebacker's coach at FSU
0: when I was there back in the early 90s. So, yeah, good, excellent guy, great football coach.
1: Yeah, Wally did a great job, and Rick Kravis did. They, they really did. We had some great defenses, always in the top 20 in the country. All right, so, you, you, so we talked about a little special teams. You talked
0: about making some tough decisions when it's thir- fourth down and such. Let's go to Scott Frost in Nebraska. You're up 28-17 in the third quarter in a game that's you, you probably should win if you really – most people think you should win the game. What causes a coach to, to even consider surprise onside kick, that kind of situation at that moment in that kind of
2: game?
1: You know, it's hard for me. I don't ever want to second-guess a coach. Sure. I really don't because I've been in that position where I've done different things and I – After the game, you know, if it works, it's great. If it doesn't, you just you wonder why you did what you did. Um, and I know it would. I know Scott will put it on himself. I know Scott. I think he's a really good coach. He did a great job at Central Florida.
3: Yeah.
1: Um, that call, obviously, everybody's going to really question it because they're up by eleven, I believe. And yeah, and um, all the Yeah, I don't. You know, I don't know. You know that's a hard one. I, you know, not being there and all those things, but you know, you're certainly going to question it. I know Scott's going to probably beat himself up for it because so coach. Now
0: is that simply a formation thing where you see something with the formation of the kickoff return, or is that just a we're trying to put the nail in the coffin and step on their throats here with one more one more big play kind of
1: situation? I wasn't there, so I don't know, but what I would think is they saw something that was glaring on film. The special team coordinator was probably during the game and they saw it. it was there. Now I don't know sometimes mm-hmm. it's the front the front guys and they're in closer to the hash and not as close to the sideline uh, or there's some real distance between and you know, whether they I didn't see the game, so I don't know if they had a uh, you know five guys up front or four guys up right. front. Right. But on the kickoff return team. So I'm assuming maybe they had four up front. They maybe thought they had it for sure. Um, but you know, you, you look at a number of years ago, um Sean Payton with the Saints. In the, Super in, the Bowl. Super Bowl in the Super Bowl, right? Comes out in the second half, does an onside kick, gets it, and they think he's one of the greatest coaches of all time. <laughs> if he doesn't get it, you know, what happens? It's it's you know, so you know, if Scott, if Nebraska would have got it, everybody would have just said, "What? That's the greatest. That's right. Call ever." Um, so, you know, it's 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 difficult.
0: They don't get it. No, Northwestern goes right down the field and scores. Nebraska doesn't score again and they lose 31-28 in in a game they're up 11 points in mid-third quarter. It's, it's just and, and Nebraska, obviously the audience probably knows, they've lost so many close games the last couple of years with Frost and and just every which way but lose they found a way to lose games. It just puts that much more pressure on that program and Scott Frost moving forward.
1: Yeah, especially how you know, scott played at nebraska you know yeah. i was i was coaching at kansas state when he was there yeah and um you know with bill snyder so it was um you know, i mean it means a lot to scott that program means a lot sure. just like i talked about with mario with miami scott you know you would think it'd be a really good hire because of the passion and all that uh but you gotta win you know and it's not automatic just because you played at a school that you're going to go in there and be successful Right, right. Uh, You certainly have to have a staff that's as passionate about Nebraska as you are. Uh, so it's hard. Nebraska, they're all hard jobs because Nebraska's won a national championship with Tom Osborne, and sure. everybody's going to want to point to that, and that's the standard. And Miami has a standard of winning a lot of national championships, and, and that standard is the standard. When South Florida, when we were number two in a country, that became the standard. Right. The next year, when I was at South Florida, people don't realize we were tenth right. in the BCS. Right. You know, that's not bad either. The year that they moved me on, we were 18th in the BCS. We just got we beat Florida State right. and Bobby Bowden up in Tallahassee. Right. You know, so we're, and we're, and Coach, we're, still, we're though, gonna get it, We're two. gonna get in
0: all these great moments that you had coaching in other weeks, but yeah, I mean the, the point is well taken. I mean, I mean, you, you, there's expectations everywhere, whether you're playing at Akron or whether you're at Florida state or whether you're at Ohio state, everybody expects
1: you guys to win games. That was my point with Nebraska, you know, you won the national championship Scott comes in there. They're expecting him to get back into that level. And, you know, there's a high standard there. All
0: right. I want to take two more points. And we'll get you out of here. Talk about roster, okay. especially training camp, rosters, transport portal give the audience a sense you you've lived it the last couple of years, how the transfer portal has really revolutionized player movement in college football. Just talk about how difficult it is. One to keep your own guys. And then two, when you, when, when when there is guys available
1: to try to go out and get new guys to come to your program. Well, all the dynamics have changed. One is you got to recruit your own players. You know, you recruit them, you sign them. It used to be a deal where they're yours now. (laughs) you know, and they're not, they're not going to transfer out. Now you got to recruit your own players out. You can recruit them, you sign them, but then you got to continue to recruit them year after year. And that, that changes that that's a big dynamic, you know? Um, Now I didn't change much with what I did at SMU or right. you know, even for Atlantic, you know, the guys that were playing, you know, you would hope that they're pretty happy because they're playing and they're being successful. Now, if they're really successful, and they always want to transfer out sometimes maybe to a Florida state or Florida or something like that. Right. Uh, but you, you've got to, the transfer portal, you've got to work it. You, you got think, to pay attention to it. You got to see what's available. Do you think that's and a, and you got way. to save scholarships. Yeah. Right. I
0: mean, yeah. Cause you're always having to juggle the numbers. I mean, it's always a, a, a math equation about losing
1: guys at certain positions and having to replenish and all that stuff. Well, you want to keep five or six or seven scholarships available you know, uh, which takes away from high school players, right. You know, but you, you, you really need to, and then, you know, how much does it take away from junior college players? To me, it's just that much more work for the staff because you've got to recruit those high school players and you can't slow down on that. And you got to recruit the junior college players still, to me, there's a, uh, you know, there's an avenue to get some really good players there. Um, but the transfer portal has really taken over, uh, as the, um, As the pipeline that you probably go to pretty, pretty hard because these players have been in a four year university understand they've got to have academics, they've got to, you know, it's just a different dynamic than the junior college players so but the key to me is you've got to hold back scholarships, and you got to plan for that.
0: And it's kind of like NFL free agency. You you typically like the transfer guys to plug a hole. You got a hole at quarterback. You got a hole in an offensive line position where you think you're you're good enough to be good, but you need one more better good player that's not on the roster. And that's where that transfer portal can act like an NFL free agent coming in to fill that void.
1: And well, you also have to be careful. And we had a number of guys that transferred in on a transfer portal that weren't that good, right? And then you had other guys that are really good. You don't, you don't want to make a mistake there. As same with junior college players. You, you know, you always, you wonder why they're there. The transfer portal, you wonder, first of all, why are they transferring out? Right. And you know, what's really sad is there, say you have 2,000 players or 3,000 players in transfer portal. Most of them do not find a home. Most of them wow. uh, move on and don't play again. Wow, And and that is some of these players make some really poor decisions and they, they lose their uh, chance to get their degree. Right. They, I mean, I've seen it happen a lot and I feel sorry. They don't get very good guidance and um, you know, everybody thinks they're that good and they sometimes walk into a situation that's worse than they had before. Right. All right. Last one, I'll get you out of here.
0: We mentioned the transfer portal and all that. As a coach, you know University of South Florida had a tough quarterback. This they had to make a couple of weeks ago. They bring in Jerry Bohannon from Baylor. I think he's a fifth or a, might even be a sixth year guy. You know they 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 had Timmy McClain, who they played a lot last year as a freshman. They recruited you. They invested resources and time and energy on his recruiting him. They they decide to go with Bohannon, and obviously the 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 the, the subsequent result is Timmy McClain transfers. How hard is that as a coach? Whether you're the position coach the OC or the, or the coordinator to have to tell a kid, Hey, I'm going with the fifth year guy, knowing he's probably going to leave. I mean, knowing, you know, he's probably going to leave you know, how tough is it to bring it to, to tell a kid who you've invested time and money and resources in as far as recruiting and traveling to see him to bring in the, to to utilize the guy who's been there three months or six months and knowing he's going to be, especially the quarterback of the team, he's going to kind of be the new leader.
1: Well, you darn well better hope that's the right decision because not only did Timmy McLean leave, he went to Central Florida. Yeah. So they may, they may be facing him here uh, this year, and McLean may be the starting quarterback there. You don't know. Right. Because Central Florida lost a quarterback. Now, you know, I faced both Central Florida and uh, South Florida last year. Timmy McLean I thought was very, very good. I would have done everything possible to try not to lose him. But I also, you can't coach Scott's in a tough position. It's the most important position on your team. Yeah. you got got, he's got to win. Yeah. You know, and, and their games, the last, I don't know, last few years, you know, they, they've won one game. And, um, and I know he's, I know he's a great guy. I know he's a really good coach, yep. but you got to win right. and you can't, and, and, and you got to make tough decisions and, I'm sure he felt like we got a rally behind. We can't go back and forth with both of them. I, I know they. I'm sure they talked about it in their staff rooms. Maybe keep let McLean have the, the first game. You know, right. let him go out there against uh, BYU. Right. And because the other quarterback's going to stay, he ain't leaving. <laughs> right. Right. McLean is not going. But anywhere. then again, McLean could McLean could leave after the second game or third game. So, you know, and I think Coach Scott was just trying to, with his. Moral fiber and who he is, he's just trying to be fair and honest with his heart, and you know felt like you want to do the right thing, but you know can really come back and hurt you. You know the biggest thing is what happens if this quarterback from Baylor gets hurt, right? Or he, uh, or something happens. Now, we're, who's your backup? And that backup, I know they talked about it because they do. Timmy probably would leave. How good is this backup? Because he better be darn good too, right? Um. But then, on top of that, for McLean to go to Central Florida of all places—I know, right? I mean that, you know. But you know, Coach he has got to, um, he's got to just stand on his on on what him and his staff decided and right. go with it. Don't look back and 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 hope that was a great decision. And you know, he's come out and said in practice that this quarterback from Baylor was that much better. Uh, than McLean, he obviously was, or he wouldn't have made that decision, right? With film and everything, but you're still not in a game. Practice right. is practice, games are games. You got Timmy McClain, who's started all those games. and I'm going to tell you something as a defense coordinator, we faced him. I thought he was man, he was hard to stop. He, he was such a great athlete, he was. he was inconsistent in his throwing, but he was a freshman, so I don't know. It's that. that's a hard that's a hard one that's a tough one for for coach Scott and his staff it really is no doubt that and this this decision
0: could determine i hate to say this could determine the future you know again if it doesn't work out it will look real bad if it works out and he wins a couple games that he shouldn't win then it'd be a great decision but again that's why you that's why you guys are, are sitting in that chair because you got to make those tough decisions and like you said you have, to, you have to be honest with yourself and the players. To, to, and, the, and the players, they may not like it but they'll probably respect it more if you're honest. And especially if the team knows so-and-so player is better than the next guy, I think that you, that you earn
1: their respect with the roster when you make those hard, honest decisions. Well, I'm sure they wanted to keep McLean. I'm sure they tried sure. Too hard to keep him. Um, you know, they, they didn't want to lose him, I'm sure. Um, so that's that's a tough one. But they got BYU coming in, like we said. Uh, it's going to be important. For South Florida needs to win that game. They play Howard the next game, which right. Larry Scott, who played for me, is the head coach there. Okay. Uh, they should win that one. But then they're on the road, Louisville, on the road, Florida. They're on the okay. road, Houston. They're on the road, Cincinnati. Yes. I mean, they've got some tough games, and they do not want to lose that BYU game. Can Can Florida beat Utah Saturday night in the swamp? Yeah, sure, certainly. You know, that's, that's going to be hard for Utah coming in there. And there's going to be so much hype. Right. With, you know, the new coach. I you know, I don't know the new coach at Florida, so I don't have a background with him, but, you know, certainly he did a, a good job where he was, or he wouldn't have gotten the job that he has. Uh, but Florida, Florida, you know, you, you can't lose a game, <laughs> you know? I mean, that's, <laughs> that's another deal, you know? And, um, you know, so, but I'm, you know, I got to believe Florida will be, um, will be favoring that game. And I got to believe that Florida will, uh, probably win that game, but Utah's. You know, I don't know what Utah has this year, so I don't. I can't talk about Utah, but you know they're going to come in and play hard. You know that. Well, the
0: great thing is, coach, we have somebody coming on right right after you that's going to talk Utah and BYU roster. A great job in the first week, coach. I really appreciate. Again, fans, we're gonna we're gonna get into all these kind of nuanced little things about the coaching profession, roster development, all that thing throughout the year. But we're also gonna talk some X's and O's, but. This is the great stuff that you're going to get from Coach Levitt is these behind-the-scenes things, that how you guys' coaches think as the head coach, as position coaches, coordinators, all those kind of things. We're going to get into recruiting stuff. We're going to get into roster management, all that stuff throughout the year. So, Coach, great job on the first episode, our first segment of coaching the Kicker, and look forward, <laughs> to, seeing you, look forward to seeing
1: you next week. All right, Jason. All right. We'll talk to you later. Have a great week, Coach. Okay. Bye-bye.
0: Now a word from Titan Home Lending. Are you in the market for a new home as a first-time home buyer? Do you want to upsize your current living situation or maybe even downsize? The kids are gone. You want to downsize to a condo, townhouse, or a smaller home? Reach out to me at Titan Home Lending. You need an FHA loan, a VA loan, a conventional loan, a jumbo loan, even a bank statement loan for you self-employed business owners out there reach out, Titan Home Lending, anywhere in the state of Florida, I can help you. From Key West to Pensacola to Orlando and everywhere in between, whether it's a primary residence, a secondary home, or even an investment property, I can help you get financed and get approved. So reach out to Jason Powers, Titan Home Lending, 205-790-1404. Thanks to our partners at Print and our real estate agent, Star Alvarado, if you're looking for full-service print and banner and sign needs, reach out to PRINT. PRINT is located in Tampa off of Gun Highway in Northdale, Mabry. Phone number 813-498-2887. Again, full-service print options available to you. Banners, road signs, you know, corporate events. Anything print-related, signs, banners, PRINT is your outlet. Reach out to Todd Tatesco, my guy. If you're in the real estate market and you're looking to buy or sell a home, Star Alvarado is your agent. She can help you on the buying side as well as the selling side. She's a terrific agent located here in the Tampa Bay area. She can service you anywhere in the Tampa Bay area. Reach out to Star Alvarado, 813-538-9572. All right, welcome back, Florida Football Insiders. JP Peterson joining us. JP's the host of the JP Peterson show. Fan stream sports every day in the Tampa Bay market and all over the country on the J on the fan stream on the fan sports app. Did I get that right? You, got it. Fan you got it. You got it. You got it all, app. brother. How
3: you doing, Jason? Good to be I'm with doing well.
0: JP's dialed into the Florida State program. We're going to talk all things Florida State LSU. Big, big non-conference game for both programs this week. To try to establish themselves as being a back program. Obviously, Brian Kelly t- first game as a coach at LSU, Mike Norvell in a critical third year here in Tallahassee. Florida State with a you know convincing 47-7 win over Duquesne over the weekend. You were in the building last week in Tallahassee. Give us a sense. Did you get a sense that it was a more professional performance by Florida State? You're beating a team like you're supposed to yeah. in a professional way.
3: That's a, that's a good word, professional. That, that's what it looked like. You know, it looked like uh, the old days when we, you do what you're supposed to do against bad teams, you know, and people may say, look, you beat Duquesne. Well, we didn't beat Jacksonville State last year. We didn't right. route Samford the year before. Um, you know, the, what was impressive to me was the size of the offensive line and the execution of the offense in general. Um, you know, there were no uh, – I, I can't remember a false start or pre-snap penalty, right? Um, which is a huge, huge improvement. Uh, they just seemed to execute the wide receiver screens. I thought Jordan Travis was extremely efficient. You know, and, and I expected him to be. I mean, he's never had a decent offensive line. Right. He's never had a bunch of weapons that he could really use. And that's looked a lot like those Memphis offenses of, of Antonio Gibson and some of those other guys where they had – three headed monsters. And here we got three guys, uh, Feely and, and, and Ward and, and, uh, um, Benson, Trey Benson, that's yeah, Trey Benson, the new guy, those guys, you know, and it's hard to tell, you know, how good they are. They, you're running against Duquesne guys, but every one of them breaking tackles and they're just Feely's put on some weight. at I think he looks really, really good. Yeah. And I think you're going to see it. I think you see a FSU team that that's the, going to be their identity. They're going to spread it out run the football. Right. And the short passes execute and you can't sleep on the deep ball now with Johnny Wilson. And, and as good as Jordan is when he throws the deep ball and getting time to actually allow receivers to get downfield, this looks like a legitimate, you know, dangerous D one offense. Uh, so I was very impressed. Yeah, you know, it was a little I was a little disappointed cuz it, it rained, you know, the lightning delay I think sent a lot of people home. Right. I think we would have had a good 60, 70,000 people there. There was, you know, it's a big tailgate going on. You know, fans are into it, man. They are into it. I really get a sense that the fans feel like this is going to be, you know, a good season where we where we turn the corner. And um if if that doesn't happen, I'll be very very surprised. Uh, I think Mike has done a great job. They still don't have the talent level that they need to compete for an ACC championship um uh, they still don't have obviously don't have it for a national championship when I mean, you if you can get 8 wins this year you know 9 would be fantastic and beat some you know some good teams you know now you can start recruiting those elite players and get back to where you were um so yeah I, and i talked to a lot of different people today uh, this weekend got a lot of good perspective on you know what what's going on in the administration talked to the um uh, Matthew Quigley who's heading up Rising Spear and the NIL who's going to be on my show tomorrow at 10:30 um you know FSU's got some work to do in the NIL area they right. really really do so fans right. you know fans are going to have to step up in that area so you know the all the arrows are pointing up trending up feel much better about this team no doubt you like you like the moves he made in the coaching staff in the offseason promoting the offensive line coach to coordinator would you like that move Yeah, Alex Hackett. Yeah, I I like I like what they do. I still think, and this is not, you know, I'm not as tied into the you know Florida recruiting as some of my other friends. uh, Corey Long, I don't know if you know Corey. He's really good at the. He knows Florida, the state of Florida recruiting, and he's he's been very critical of FSU's uh, recruiting um, roster in terms of their coaches and 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 their whole setup. That it's it's not Florida focused. It's much more Mississippi, Alabama you know, kind of old Norvell uh, stomping grounds and doesn't have enough connections in Florida. That's, you know, that's what Corey says. And I've heard some, you know, some other uh, very smart people in terms of recruiting say the same thing. So I do think FSU might be able to be better in those areas. You know, I've, I've heard some, some high school coaches, you know, say, a little, you know, Florida State doesn't have the presence that they really need to have in the Tampa Bay area. It's right. not to where they need it to be. Right. Um, you know, it's just a couple of opinions. So, but that's, you know, it's a work in progress. He's been, you know, Norvell's been here three years. You know, I say effectively two, you know, right. maybe even a year and a half because of all the COVID bullshit that he had to deal with. So, um, you know, I, I think uh, I like the staff where it's at, but I think they can get better. All right, so now they they jump up a class against
0: LSU Sunday. Obviously, they they oh, they, yeah. they know they – know, you know, LSU, say what you want about LSU. It was a train wreck at the end, not necessarily because of the talent, but more because of Ed Orgeron. That whole circus with Orgeron and that staff, yeah. they get a much more, again, buttoned-up guy and Brian Kelly. The good thing for Florida State is that Florida State knows Brian Kelly. They opened the year last year yep. in Notre Dame. They understand his schemes, what he likes to do, both offensively and defensively. You know, again – LSU's got players. Say what you want. They got players, especially defensive and offensive linemen usually, usually have good skill players. The big decision is we don't know what they're going to do at quarterback. Is it Nussmeyer? Right. Is it Daniels? He's not going to tell you till game day. What do you just a, a quick what do you think of the LSU roster going into
3: this game? Well, I think they're in flux. You know, I don't think there's any question about it. Um, you know, Brian Kelly's a good coach, and I think he's gonna win there. Um, but it's gonna take some time. And I think a lot of what he does and the culture that he's trying to uh, inculcate there is foreign to what LSU's been used to. I think it's going to take some players some time to buy in, um, talk to a couple of people in Louisiana. And that's kind of the feel I get. It, and, and so how does this work for them? The first game um, in, in, you know, there's going to be a lot of friends and family there for these players. I know they want to show out. But I just, you know, it, it, FSU's already played a game. LSU has not. That's a big advantage. Yep. I just think, you know, I, I think this is a good spot for FSU. I really, really do. It's not going to be like a, a home game. Um, I think it's probably going to be about 60-40. Right. Uh, Fans-wise. But, you know, I, I, I think this is a good spot for FSU. I, I, I don't – I'm not going to sit here and guarantee a win. But I, the continuity – um, check goes to FSU. I mean, they, they've got guys that know their systems. Obviously, they're much better in their systems, as we, as we saw in game one. I think the talent level is a step up. I think if FSU can can run the football, and to me, right. that's the whole thing. If they can right. if they run for 150 yards in this game, at least, I think they win the football game. I really do. Um, and, and, you know, the old adage, you got two quarterbacks, you got none. So, and here's Brian Kelly, in, you know, putting in a new system, and trying to get two quarterbacks ready, uh, good luck with that. Good luck with that. You can have all the you know skilled players you have, and LSU still very talented. But um, you know, this to me is going to be a really good litmus test of, of Mike Norvell and his coaching staff. Right. You know, like you said, they know Brian Kelly, um, and Brian Kelly knows them. Uh, but these LSU players don't exactly know the, the scheme. It's gonna it's gonna take, and this is a chance where I want to see Mike Norvell out coach. Brian Kelly, I want to see them get some scheme advantages, get some guys open, execute some big plays, and and make it happen. You know, if you're if you're FSU, right, you you want a signature win of this season early on, right? You, you SEC, you know, people are, don't know that LSU is going to be in a little bit of flux. So I, you put this one on the board, um, get a big win down there, and then you know, if you can beat Louisville the next week. You know, you're oh, off and oh, running. Hell, this team started 0 and 4 last year, right? Right. Um, you know, this is this would be huge to get this win. I, and I think more even for, for the players' confidence. You know, s- s- swag is so much of college football, right? You know, young kids, it's an emotional game. You want to go in there. You beat an LSU team in that environment on a Sunday night. That's the only game on. National man, TV you audience. Show. You got it all. You, are, you got it all. And you are the show Sunday night. And this is Florida State's brand. It's out there. It's on a you know, Labor Day weekend, you could not, honestly, for Mike Norvell, you could not draw up a better spot for them, really, to go win a game, put your brand out there, and start rolling again. It's, you know, it's, you could not ask for a better situation. A beatable team um, that people, a brand in LSU that people think is one of, still one of the upper echelon teams, yep. and all those other things I mentioned, the, the advantages they have, you know, it's to me, it's a it's a great setup. Don't blow it. Don't blow it. You got a great opportunity here. Don't blow and again, it. And this is the
0: time. If you're Norvell and year three, you're tired of moral victories. You can't right, keep losing right. close games. You gotta, you gotta win one or two of these big matchups. Again, beating Wake Forest ain't a big deal. I mean, it's a big deal, but it's not. You gotta beat a right. national brand, and this is your chance. Recruiting wise, a great opportunity. It's, it's a classic Southern uh, regional battle. You're gonna be fighting for some of these kids this time next year. Transfer yep. portal kind of kids. So. This is a big spot for Norvell. And again, you want to win the game, but you can't go out and get beat 34 to 20. You got to get, oh, this no, game, no. If you're going to lose, this has got to be a late fourth quarter loss if you're
3: going to lose the game. Yeah, and you know, I I love the fight in this FSU team that we saw last year. You know, I think that gets better this year. I think the culture has changed dramatically yeah. from the Willie Taggart era. Yeah. So again, this is, a, this is a perfect spot for them. And, you know, I want to I see... I want. to see some explosiveness too, you know. That Florida State is all they built their brand on. On you know, Bobby Bowden trick plays, the riverboat gambler, uh, you know, and then you know Jameis Winston and and the, the big names, Jalen Ramsey and and uh, Dalvin Cook. These oh, are these Irwin are as Those guys. Yeah, they're when you know this is you know branding is big in college football and NIL and. And don't forget about this. You know, Florida State is auditioning for the Big Ten yes. and the SEC. Right. You know, you go out there and get your ass kicked, and it's, it's going to be kind of like, oh, they just don't have it anymore. It's, this, it's just not It's not going to happen. Right. Uh, you, you'll, and, and even if you go – even if you come back and win eight games this year, you're not going to have the national spotlight like, like you have on Sunday night to build – to recoup your brand in front of the nation. That's how important I think this game is for them. No doubt. All right. So it sounds like you're gonna you're gonna be in the building Sunday night. Yes, sir. You and your, you and your son are gonna be there. That'll be a fun yeah, weekend um, trip. So uh, yeah, we got this. Is I get to play a fan this weekend. No, no work obligations for me. We're you know 15 rows up on the 20 yard line. Nice. Uh, bringing my girlfriend and Cullen's bringing his girlfriend. We got a weekend in, in uh, Bourbon Street and. In, in, uh, so it's gonna be it's it, it We got tailgate parties lined up, get a lot of friends to see. This is gonna be like uh, you know, back in the nineties, uh, we spent a lot of time in New Orleans, in the nineties and the two thousands in sugar bowls and, and, and different different ball games in, in New Orleans. We spent a lot of time there. So I, I got a lot of uh we got a lot of catching up to do at Pat O'Brien's and all the other haunts. So I don't want I don't uh, wanna see me. you on no TikTok videos on Bourbon Street now. <laughs> You never know. I just don't want to get carjacked. That's my goal for the <laughs> right, weekend. Right. I mean, everybody's getting carjacked in new Orleans. They're down like 1500 police officers. It's like anarchy out there. So uh, you might have to bring a small arsenal just to protect the party, but um, yeah, it'll be, a, I, it'll be a, it'll be a busy weekend with all the LSU people in town too. So
0: it will be a yeah. fun weekend.
3: Yeah, it's, it's, it should be fun. Looking forward to it. Awesome. man. tell them where they can find you online and what, showtime and all that good stuff. Yeah, we're on every day from 10 to 12, two hours. Tampa Bay sports centric uh, conversation. A lot of Bucks, a lot of Rays, a lot of lightning, and a lot of college football. We talk more college football, I think, than any other local show. Um, it's it's part of my pedigree, having you know spent a lot of time at Florida State. So we do we, we usually have a Gator guest, the Florida State guest, the USF guest. So I think we're getting Jeff Scott on. Thursday. Nice. Looking forward to USF football. He had a yes. big game against Big Open against BYU. Yeah. Uh, Scott Carter from GatorZone.com comes on, or FloridaGators.com comes on every week. So we do a lot of college football, and of course we're on we're on top of the Bucs and everything that's going on with them as well. So ten to twelve, uh, go JP Peterson show. Subscribe on YouTube. You can watch us live on Twitter. Watch us on Facebook. We have an app, FanStream Sports. Download the app, and you can listen to the show anytime. Thanks for letting me come on, Jason. Love it, man. You got a great show. Appreciate it. You got it. One more thing,
0: I'll p- publicize. JP does. He also does a bunch of lightning stuff. Once the lightning get going here, in another couple months, for all the Absolutely. home games, so when you're at the, when you're at Amalie, you'll see JP doing stuff in between periods and before and after games for, for the lighting as well. So keep up the yeah, great come work, up and man. Say
3: hello.
0: Yep, keep up the great work, man. You do a great job, and and uh, good good luck in your new studio. I know you got
3: a new Thank studio. You. Thank you. Appreciate it, Jason. Thanks, buddy. All right, buddy. Yep. Have a great weekend.
0: Are you ready to profit this college football and NFL season? Do you need picks to make with your sports gambling outlet? Reach out to 813-542-7559. Picks to Profits offer a flat monthly fee of $100. You will get at least six picks every week for $100 a month. One flat fee, no excuses, no extra fees involved. Picks will be emailed and texted to you on game day, whether it's a Thursday night, Saturday, Sunday, or even Monday night. Those picks will be texted straight to your device via text message and email. Let us do the work while you profit. Picks to Profit, 813-542-7559. All right, now we're going to welcome in Matt Zimek. USA Today, Trojan Wire editor. He covers all things Pac-12, USC. And this is a unique week in the in the college football sphere down here in the state of Florida. We have two matchups involving Florida teams and Utah teams, both of them in the state of Florida. Big rarity doesn't happen very often, but they, and they both are on the same day and basically back-to-back games. First, we're going to talk University of South Florida is going to be hosting the BYU Cougars this is a return matchup. They have had they played last year in Provo. Uh, BYU handled USF. Uh, it wasn't handily, but it was convincing enough. Uh, USF actually played okay and pretty decent in that game for two and a half, three quarters, and then BYU pulled away late. And then we're going to hit on the showdown in the swamp. Billy Napier's first game as head coach in charge of the Gators as Kyle Whittingham brings his Utes into Ben Hill Griffith Stadium. All right, let's start BYU first, Matt. Give the audience a little a little breakdown of BYU. I'm gonna first thing. I'm gonna give you a bonus point if you can pronounce the coach's name. That's always the the first challenge with the BYU coach. Kalani Sataki. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Checking your you've already got a check in the box, Matt, on the ledger. So tell us about uh, Kalani and his and, and the Cougars coming into Tampa to see the Bulls.
2: Well, the conversation starting BYU begins with this point. You know, Zach Wilson went to the NFL draft, went to the Jets, you know, top three pick. And so last year without Wilson, people thought BYU's offense was going to regress. It did not. Uh, In fact, some could say that BYU's offense was as good as it's ever been, or at least, you know, certainly as good as it's ever been in recent years. Uh, We we won't argue about the Lavelle Edwards 1980s offenses, which were, you know, set a standard all their own, Ty Detmer winning the Heisman Trophy in 1990. But last year's BYU offense, the point being, it was really good without Zach Wilson. And the guy who made it all happen was Tyler Algier, uh, kind of a Swiss Army knife running back who could pound out tough yards between the tackles. He could catch passes down the field. He could he could work in the flats, uh, in the short areas, in open space. He He was a jack of all trades. He could do so many different things. Now he's in the NFL. He's with the Atlanta Falcons. And so, you know, people are going to wonder, well, what's BYU's offense going to do? But the very fact that this offense was so good without Zach Wilson last year, it means that without Tyler Algier, uh, they're probably not going to miss a beat. And the the word from camp in Provo, very positive. And so you got to look at this guy, Aaron Roderick, not a player. He's the offensive coordinator under Kalani Sataki. And Kalani Sataki, let's let's look at let's realize this about Sataki. He's a defense first coach, he has a defensive background. Yep. All right. When you are a head coach, what do you have to do? What's one of the central things you absolutely have to get right uh, as a head coach? You have to hire the good coordinators on the opposite side of the ball. So Sataki with Aaron Roderick, he obviously is doing well there. Before Aaron Roderick, he hired Jeff Grimes. Now, Jeff Grimes is now. Dave Aranda's offensive coordinator at Baylor. We saw how well Baylor did last year. So Sataki is hiring excellent offensive coordinators. When you are a defensive coach, you have to get your offensive coordinator hires right. We saw out here in the West what happens when a defensive coach, you know, a coordinator gets promoted to head coach and then hires a terrible offensive coordinator. We saw that at the University of Washington where Jimmy Lake, you know, great defensive guy, he hired John Donovan as his offensive coordinator. No one else wanted John Donovan on the market. And Washington tanked. So Kalani Sataki, he's hiring the right offensive assistant coaches. And so no Tyler Algier this year. The BYU offense is still expected to be very good.
0: The other part of this game that I think is critical but BYU has always been pretty good at is in the trenches. Both offensive and defensive line. That's where USF has struggled the last couple of years. Jeff Scott building this offensive line and defensive line depth. I think this will be a key part of this game, will be the how well USF can hold up in the trenches both on both sides of the line of the scrimmage.
2: No question about it. And you know, that really leads me to a bridge point, you know, that connects these two Utah versus Florida games, BYU, USF, BYU, USF, and then the Utes versus the Gators in the Swamp. BYU and Utah, they both have rugged styles and they both pride themselves on being able to punch you in the mouth. And frankly, those aren't good matchups for uh, week 1 uh, either in USF situation or Florida's situation you'd like a more volatile team that might have a higher ceiling but might not be as consistent week to week but BYU and Utah boy they both have a culture of cranking out results regularly being fundamentally sound um, physical, you know it's very kind of physical. like the Jerry Sloan Utah Jazz yes. in the NBA Great you know they're not going to beat themselves and that's not the that's not the kind of team you want to play in week one. Now you know I'm the editor of Trojans Wire. You'd like to play USC in week one while that team's getting out all the kinks. Uh, that's why USC scheduled Rice, by the way, so that it could have an easy opener. You know, get right. get out all the rust and 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 learn how to work within the system. So Utah, though, in week one, that's a team you don't want to play because Utah is unlikely. To beat itself, BYU is much the same way. So that is a nice little point of commonality between the two Utah schools, BYU and Utah, playing teams from uh, the Sunshine State in week one.
0: And the last factor I'll mention, we'll get, and then we'll get to Florida, Utah, is the heat. I think they're playing at four o'clock here in Tampa, BYU, USF, prime time as far as the heat goes. Interesting to see how BYU handles that. Obviously, it's hot out in Utah, but it's elevation, different kind of heat. It'll be interesting to see how BYU handles this humidity in the, in the middle of the day here in Tampa, especially if it's a steamy hot day down here, you know, relative to, to what they're
2: used to in Provo. Yeah. Let me ask you, Jason, are, are you at both USF and the Gators going to wear white uh, road jerseys for this game? Cause great, they should. Great the question. Factor.
0: That's a great question. That's another part. A little thing like that. If, if, if BYU and Utah have to wear dark jerseys, just yeah. a little bit hotter, yeah. a little bit more wet and nasty. So, yeah, that, that's a if great Jeff I,
2: Scott and Billy Napier are smart. They're going
0: to do that. I agree. No, you're right about that. And uh, you're absolutely right. So, I mean, I think we both think BYU's the better team uh, should win the game. Um, but again, these first weeks are the weeks to if you're if you're a USF in a Florida, you got a chance that you've had all offseason to scout these guys scheme wise that, that this will be the chance to, to, you know, I would say keep the game close in the fourth quarter kind of week for both those both teams.
2: No question. One other point about BYU is that USC played BYU pretty close late last season uh, yeah. on Thanksgiving weekend. Actually, It was the night before Lincoln Riley got hired, uh, you know, and USC was a terrible team last year. So did, did that mean that BYU was just kind of running out of gas at, at the end of a long season or did it, it was that kind of a sign that there's going to be some regression at BYU this year. That's an intriguing point heading into week one against USF.
0: All right. Listen to Florida football insides with Matt Zemek of USA Today's Trojan Wire. Matt's also part of the College Gridiron Coast-to-Coast Podcast Network. He hosts his own podcast focusing on the Pac-12 called Get Off My Pylon. So promote yourself on that,
2: sir. Oh, well, Get Off My Pylon, it's Western College Football, and that's going to be heavily Pac-12, some Mountain West. You know, when there's a really big story in the Mountain West, we'll cover it, but it's going to be mostly Pac-12. And, of course, Utah, along with the USC Trojans, to my cover, and also Oregon, just playing Georgia. Right. So, like, we're gonna have in week one, we're gonna preview Oregon, uh, Georgia. We're gonna preview Utah, Florida on our "Get Off My Pylon" uh, podcast, uh, you know, as well as USC, especially when the Trojans play bigger games than Rice uh, later this season. So let's get at that Utah, Florida game. So it's yeah. the game I'm gonna be talking about on my show, doing it here on the Powers on Sports uh, podcast and the Florida Football Insiders podcast. Um, you know, Utah key ingredient for Utah, they have their returning quarterback. You know, last year. Uh, Charlie Brewer was yeah. uh, the starter in week one. He was the opening day starter. But now Cam Rising gets the keys from the beginning. It's kind of an interesting parallel with USC in that Caleb Williams was not the starter on day one last year. But he is going to have the offense the whole season. So anyway, with Utah, Cam Rising being the starter, knowing that he's the man going into the beginning of the season, you know that should increase Utah's upside because if Cam Rising had been the quarterback the whole way last year, Utah probably doesn't lose the San Diego State game right. for sure. Might not have lost a, 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 a one or two other games along the way, but you know, Utah's record would have been better if Cam Rising was the opening day starter and he had been able to lead that team uh from start to finish. So, the fact that Cam Rising's there and he knows exactly what to do within Kyle Whittingham's system, within offensive coordinator Andy Ludwig's uh scheme, you know, that that's really important and you know, Florida doesn't have that same advantage now Billy Napier I think you know he's set up to be a really good coach have a great tenure at Florida I mean he's already doing what Dan Mullen has not done and that is recruit at a higher level and that's only going to get better for Napier and the Gators as we go along but in week one of his first season you don't have that established coach quarterback relationship at Florida Utah has it And that is a big, big check mark for the Utes. uh, Florida fans, if you're
0: not familiar with Cam Rising, remember they had the shootout with Ohio State in the Rose Bowl, a tremendous game where they scored four. I think they scored, what was the score? 48 45 final in the Rose Bowl?
3: Yep. That's exactly what it was. 45
0: points on Ohio State and lose. Yep. I mean, but they showed the firepower that they they can move the ball. Rising is a good, very good. Throwing quarterback, they have a good running game. Back the same kind of physicality. They are rugged offensive line. Whittingham has always been known as a very physical coach. You know, rugged offensive and defensive lines. A lot of good athletes. Utah recruits a lot in the state of Florida. They always have three or four kids on their roster from the state of Florida as far as recruiting. So you'll see some kids from the state of Florida that you recognize, you know, uh, on the Utah roster. To me, the Utah a key objective is containing Anthony Richardson. We're not sure what he is yet, but he's clearly their most dynamic offensive player. They're going to put the ball in his hands a lot. He's going to run the ball. He's going to throw the ball. Stopping, containing Anthony Richardson for that Utah defense
2: will be key. I totally agree. And I would add, Jason, that it, it's more about making sure Richardson doesn't burn them with his legs. You know, I think in week one, you 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 dare Anthony Richardson to beat you down the field right. and making the right read and making the proper accurate throw. Where, where in a week one situation, you know, as a defense, you know, coming into the season and where you might just see some rust, some occasional lapses, you, know, you just blow some containment on the edge or you, you allow a, a running lane and Richardson can scoot for 60 yards. I mean, he's certainly capable of doing that. So if I'm Utah, you know, I play conservatively. I just make sure that the pocket is contained and Richardson doesn't have running lanes with which to operate. And
0: Florida's issue is probably going to be depth. I, I know they've got good play. They're, their top 22 guys are probably pre- pretty good, you know, relatively comparable to Utah, but it's the depth and the ability to, to, con- to consistently, again, implement a new system where these Utah players have been in this Whittingham Ludwig system for for multiple years now. They know what they're doing. Uh, and, and so that, it'd be interesting to see what the, the, that part of the factor, how that factors in. Last point, we'll get you out of here. Um the game is sold out. Just announced the game is sold out in the Swamp. You'll have 90 90,000 plus at the Swamp. You're going to see in my opinion a guaranteed lock. You're going to see Billy Napier pull some tricks out of the bag in his first game. Trick play, fake punt, something along those lines to get that Florida crowd into the game, get that the atmosphere rocking because he probably realizes that they're undermanned a little bit that they got to do a couple things and one to get the excitement level of the Florida the Gator Nation back. They've been in, they've been in doom the last couple of years with Mullen, you know, they're going to, Napier's going to pull a couple things out of the hat here in this first game, national TV to get the, uh, to get the, you know, just to get confidence of his program back.
2: Totally agree. And I would just say he better do it very early, right? Because you, if you, if you're down seven, nothing immediately, yep. you know, the, uh, the trick factor or the surprise factor goes down. He needs to do it as soon as possible while it's still zero, zero or even three, zero. Can't can't wait too long to hold on to that trick play. So you, it sounds like you like Utah here. I do. I think the game. I would, don't think it's a blowout. I think Utah by like I'd say like thirty-one twenty something in that realm. I think it's definitely a game going
0: to the fourth quarter. I think Utah will have enough to get through, but I think this is definitely a game in the fourth quarter. If you're gambling on this game, I I say either bet Utah minus the number or Florida on the money line. I don't think the point spread is going to come into play. I think Florida is either going to win the game in an upset or Utah is going to win by seven to 10 points comfortably uh, in, in the game. So great work, Matt. I appreciate it. Appreciate you being part of our uh, of our Gimme Five segment where we talk, we're talk. we going to talk about the opponents. We're going to kind of limit it to five minutes to, to keep things moving. Great work. I know, I know you're going to be focusing on all things Pac-12, USC, but again, great knowledge base on the Pac-12 teams and Look forward to uh, checking in with you throughout the year. Great to be with you. I'm Florida football insiders, Jason. You got it. Good luck with get off my pile and hoping I something. Birdie says that there might be a guest appearance by Mr. Powers on the pylon this week. Who knows? We'll see. (laughs) Have a great week, Matt. All right. Thank you. Okay. Welcome back. We are talking all things FIU Panthers and no better person to talk FIU Panthers and then with the co-managing editor of Underdog Dynasty He covers FIU on a daily basis He also covers Conference USA hosts a Conference USA podcast and he's also which is very interesting to me is a Bolitnikoff award voter which which uh, recognizes the nation's best wide receiver in college football every year so I want to welcome Eric Henry to the Florida Football Insiders
4: podcast thanks for joining us Eric not a problem, Jason. Always a pleasure to uh, hop on with a fellow, uh, you know, Tampa guy. You know, it's is always, that uh, even you know,
0: better. Things. Yeah, I found out you live <laughs> in Tampa too, so that's even double the double the pleasure. Absolutely, you're out in the Tampa Palms area, which is a nice area. So I was, I was telling Eric, uh, I'm going to be out there this evening refereeing a high school football game again with two of the better teams in Hillsborough County down here. So looking forward to getting out that way tonight as well. So, all right, Eric. So we're going to talk uh, before we get to FIU. I want to talk to you a minute or two about. Your duties as a voter with the Belichickoff Award—it's um, a pretty uh interesting uh, dynamic with wide receivers around the country. They recognize that you know the, you guys recognize the best wide receiver. Let's talk about four or five guys that are kind of on your radar as we head into the 2022 season of wide receivers. You know, a couple of names I'll mention, and then I know you're going to mention a couple of names. You got Jordan Addison out at USC—is the big transfer from Pitt. You got Njigba up at Ohio State's going to be going to get a lot of attention talk about those guys if you know much about them and then obviously drop me a couple
4: other names that maybe the fans and audiences don't know about so much sure yes this is my second year doing this jason i kind of give you what's kind of my method of doing this here right obviously covering conference usa it's a smaller league a group of five league so what i like to do is work my way from the smaller leagues up guys like jordan addison and others you're going to see them nine times out of ten throughout the season right and listen though both of those names you mentioned in specificity Jordan Addison they should be right there in the top of of the uh you know rankings there for the Blitnikoff um so those guys are definitely going to be in the mix but as I mentioned the way I like to do it is go from the smaller leagues up just because you're not going to get a chance to see those guys on a day in day out basis you know on ESPN and with the coverage so give you a handful of names and this is not a homer pick I I promise Jason this is not a homer pick but I'll start with Tyrese Chambers of FIU someone who in his first season at the fbs level transferred up from fcs to sacred heart all he did was break ty hilton's program record for receiving yards and receiving touchdowns in a year so he's a guy who this offense is looked to run through him expect him to see probably someone in terms of catches double those numbers then again if you're going to come from a smaller you know a smaller team a smaller conference you're going to have to put up monster numbers right look no further than western kentucky Last year, their quarterback, Bailey Zappi, set the NCAA mark for passing yards and passing touchdowns in a season. And as a result, they had a ton of receivers. Three receivers go over 1,400 yards. Wow. I don't I don't think they're going to have as many guys go over 1,400 yards just because they don't have as much talent. Uh, Mitchell Tinsley's moved on to Penn State. Ja, uh, Jarrett Stearns, excuse me, is in camp right now at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yep. Uh, and they have a, another player as well who transferred out. So I'm going to give you a name to keep an eye on. That's an Oregon transfer in Daywood Davis. As I mentioned, three guys over were 1,400 yards. Daywood Davis had almost 800 yards receiving, <laughs> So that goes to show you where they were in terms of passing proficiency. That same offense is back this year. So I would expect his numbers to be somewhere in the 15, 16, 1,700-yard range. Wow. And then the last guy I want to have you keep an eye on is from UTSA, another surging group of five program at a conference, USA, Zachary Franklin, he's someone who had 90 catches for 1,100 yards last year, and that offense is going to look to be even more pass-heavy with the loss of Sincere McCormick, who was one of the top rushers in all of the nation the past two years. Expect them, as they're kind of working through the run game a little bit, bringing in Arkansas transfer to pass the ball a little bit more, and I think he should easily be a 100-catch guy and somewhere around 1,500, 1,600 yards as well.
0: Now, and One of the cool things about Group of Five schools as opposed to maybe some of the other Power Five schools they get lots of catches. These guys at group of five schools, they're easily over hundred catches a year. The, the 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 really good players there. You know the Stearns kids you talked about, which we know with the Buccaneers, who's who's turning some eyes in Buccaneer training camp. You know those kind of guys, the littler guys. They they get fed the ball in those offenses, whether it's bubble screens, all the different ways they get them the ball. But they feed those guys at these smaller schools when they've got a good player. They they don't they figure out ways to get them 100, 110 catches a year.
4: Jason, one of my kind of favorite sequences, I had a chance to, I covered three Western Kentucky games last year. I covered when they came to FIU, covered the Boca Raton Bowl when they broke the record. And then also on and off, we got covered them at Rice. And one of my favorite sequences, just to kind of give, you know, listeners who may not be familiar with Western Kentucky in that offense, get the nail on the head in terms of getting those quick bubble screens, those hitches, those slants. Jarrett Stearns caught four straight passes in a hurry up offense. So they started at the twenty he caught a little bubble screen went for 10 yards they raced the line boom slant race of the line just you know a a little screen where he just you know all the other guys clear out he catches it and then they finish the drive off with a touchdown catch so that's going to show you those guys are going to get fed the ball whether it's pass after pass after pass.
0: No, like I said, they do. They do. And obviously those leagues are very, very pass happy that where you you get a lot of, you know, like I said, the Western Kentucky of the world where they're probably, honestly, they're probably throwing it 70% of the time, as opposed to other teams that want to be a little more balanced. If they're going to, these, these smaller programs, they'll throw the ball as much as they have to, to do what they got to get done. All right, let's get to your FIU Panthers who you cover on a day-to-day basis. Brought in Mike McIntyre, new coach this year. Um, you know, they were they struggled big time last year, 1-11, uh, had a bad run. The Butch Davis thing kind of ended a little ugly with some of the things going on there with Butch um, and, and some of the comments he made about the program and the commitment and all that stuff. Well, we won't worry about a whole lot of that. Um, the first elephant in the room dealing with the FIU program this year is the passing of, of uh, Luke Knox, they had the, in training camp here in the last couple of weeks. You know, the brother of Dawson Knox plays for the Buffalo Bills. Luke Knox was a transfer from Ole Miss where McIntyre came from. So McIntyre had a relationship with him. Just talk about how that – obviously, it's a terrible situation, What's what happened with, with the young man. Just talk about how that is the cloud that's been over the program in the last couple of weeks with that whole situation.
4: Yeah, yeah, you hit the nail on the head there, Jason, in terms of, um, I honestly want to say it's a cloud, but we tend to forget that is big time college football fans, you know, we love college football, these are young men 18 to 23, I guess with the COVID year 18 to 24 18 to 25 right but still young kids so yeah. Um, when one of their peers you know passes away it, it, it does take them a while to kind of you know as it would any of us but especially at that age and with Mike McIntyre yeah I think the quote that stuck with me when we uh, were at the press conference last week uh, in terms of the media availability we had was he said hey he, he's known the Knox family since he was 16 years old you know uh-huh. he, he grew up. 10 houses away from, you know, his grand, their grandparents. And, and again, for, for your audience who may not know, Mike McIntyre it, was born in Miami, grew up in Nashville, um, same area that the Knox family is from. So uh, he picked up the um, uh, um, Luke's parents, excuse me, uh, picked up his parents from the airport at 1am, right. you know, and not to say that Mike wouldn't do that for any parent, but I think it just goes to show, you know, the relationship that they had. So definitely a, a tough situation, but uh, I think the players, you know, they are. There seems to be a, and it sounds so cliche, but a rallying around Luke sure. and that they really, you know, he made an impact on them in a short time and they really want to honor him in several ways. And, and I do think they're handling as best they can for, as I mentioned, you know, kids who are between the age of 18 and 25. No doubt. No doubt.
0: All right. right, So let's get on the field here. McIntyre, Mike McIntyre. He's been a head coach at a couple other places before San Jose State, Colorado. The interesting thing here is he did a, he did a, dram- a dramatic turnaround when he was at San Jose State. Uh, he took over program one in 12 at San Jose State. Two years later, they won 10 games. He took over Colorado, who was really struggling. A couple years later, they'd won 10 games at Colorado. So he's shown the ability to do this. Um, In his past. So that's a great thing for him. I mean, like you said, he's got connections in Miami, which will help with the recruiting. He's got SEC connections, which will help in the transfer portal, those kind of things. So I think he he's kind of the perfect guy to bring in for a situation that that needs an overhaul.
4: Yeah, yeah, undoubtedly, you know, when the announcement of Mike McIntyre was made as head coach. Um, there was a bit of consternation in South Florida because there were some names with South Florida ties, uh, Tim Harris, Jr., James Coley, you know, a couple other guys who either grew up in Miami or were Miami high school coaches. And they really, some of the FIU fan base really wanted one of those guys. But I think for all the reasons that you mentioned, we're seeing why AD Scott Carr chose Mike McIntyre. This wasn't just a situation where it's, Hey, we need a new coach. We need a new voice. We need some new X's and O's. This was a situation where you have a program that lost 41 players by the time the spring started Wow! between transfers, going to the NFL, leaving football, et cetera. This was building this thing from the ground up. That may have really been too much of an ask for a first time head coach, right? Right. So you bring in someone like Mike McIntyre, who did it a similar situation in San Jose State, you know, not a traditional um, college football area, you know, a non-traditional student population there. Same yep. thing at FIU. And then he goes yep. to Colorado and does the same thing. So, and when you talk to Mac, he talks about saying, hey, when I took this job, I knew it was going to be more than X's and O's. It's going to be going out there and meeting that booster, or going out there and, and meeting that donor, or meeting that fundraiser or whatnot, or, you know, talking to the booster club, trying to build this thing from the ground up. So uh, in that sense, I do think that's proven out as a show, at least, you know, about uh, less than a week from the season why that's been the right hire. And in terms of on the field, as you mentioned, definitely a lot of connections. I think one of the biggest uh, strategies for them in terms of recruiting has been this. They know that they're not gonna get the four and five star recruit immediately out of South Florida or out of Florida in general. But, and as they've already done, bring in a handful of these guys, as we know this living in Florida, uh, it's one thing to say you wanna go to Syracuse or go here or go there, right? And it's another thing to wake up in January and it's six degrees and you're suddenly missing Florida. We've got a handful of those kids who, you know, left Florida for a Northern power five school and then realize, Hey, this might not necessarily have been what I wanted. And they've come back this year. And some of those guys are going to contribute immediately, immediately, excuse me, in year one. And the
0: other great thing is that, you know, not that you want to live in the transfer portal, but you're in a great spot where Florida, Florida state, Miami, central, Florida, USF. If you got a kid that's maybe not performing up to up to his potential As a second or third teamer there, he probably would have a pretty good opportunity to go play at FIU pretty early in his career if he decided to make a change.
4: Undoubtedly. I mean, I do think, and listen, uh, you can look at programs like UCF and USF. They were built off of those types of players, right? Players who realize, hey, we might not be playing immediately, might be a third stringer, might be a, an upperclassman, and it's not necessarily getting the reps that they wanted. Come on down to, you know, quote, unquote, the lower league, and they've had success. So undoubtedly, that'll be a factor as well. No doubt. All right. So FIU, the last 18 couple
0: staff before we get into the offense, last 18 sure. games, one in 17 in the last 18. Sacks last year, they, they, only, they allowed 41 sacks, only, only created fourteen, so a three to one ratio of giving up sacks to getting sacks. They they lost the time of possession by almost seven minutes a game, which just puts a brutal uh, impact on your defense. So, all right, let uh, let's 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 go offense first. You and I before we did this, we were talking about the QB battle. Coach McIntyre is going to be announcing a QB here pretty soon. Down to a couple guys. You got a Duke transfer, Gunner Holberg, and then you got a Tampa kid. Hayden Carlson, the kid out of the Tampa Bay area battling for the job. What do you, what do you sense is the way that they're going to go with the quarterback situation?
4: Yeah. Yeah. Jason, it's been a three-way race. Actually, I'll throw in another name, Grayson James, a kid, a highly touted kid out of the Dallas Fort Worth area, a former three-star recruit. But yes, Hayden Carlson, a name that we may be familiar with as guys who live in Tampa, the son of Jeff Carlson, certainly, you know, played for the Buccaneers noted football analyst in this area and Gunnar Holmberg Gunnar was the primary starter at Duke last year, started nine games you know, I'll say Duke is uh, on uh, the lower end of the power five program. Yeah. So, you know, it wasn't necessarily a great record on, on the field, but uh, Gunner is a guy who can move. He can use his legs. He can certainly, you know, kind of get out there and and, and kind of create plays in that way. And the big thing that they're looking for in David Yost's offense is get the ball out of your hands quickly. You talked yeah. about the sacks, Max Bortenschlager for all the things that he did last year. I believe he set the program record for passing yards in a, in a year. The, he held onto the ball a lot. And part of that was guys weren't open, but part of that was, hey, you know, just holding on to the football, need to make quicker decisions. So I do think right now it does appear as if Gunnar Holmberg has the inside edge. But, you know, when we spoke to Mike McIntyre, he said that this could go all the way up into game week and we'll be at practice Monday. And I plan on asking him, hey, Mac, you you got a guy yet? You know, maybe he's announced it internally, but maybe he won't announce it to us until kickoff on, on Thursday.
0: And the other thing about this entire roster this year, it's a new coaching staff so everybody's going to get opportunity if things aren't even if they name a starter no matter what position it is if a couple of weeks into it the, the guy's not doing well they're not going to be afraid to make a change and give another guy an opportunity because they 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 are looking for players whether again everybody's slates clean with a new coaching staff in theory so it'll be interesting to see how much how much leash that he, no matter what position it is how much leash these guys all get at their different the, the incumbent starters get so All right, wide receivers, you know, not a good running game last year. Running game really struggled. Offensive line's got to get better. Just your general thoughts about the offense, a couple thoughts about the offense going into, into 2022.
4: Yeah, I'll give you a couple quick thoughts here. As you mentioned, the offensive line, when you allow that many sacks, uh, they couldn't really get anything going in the run game. It all starts there. So when you have a guy like Lindell Hudson, they also got uh, one of the highest recruits in program history, a former Lakeland Dreadnought, who had signed with Florida initially out of high school in DAV Hammond, went the Juco route. He now is at FIU. He's expected to bolster that offensive line. Everything's going to run through there. As I mentioned, Tyrese Chambers, the NFL prospect out there at receiver, he is undoubtedly the best offensive player in the running back room. Keep an eye on two guys, Lexington Joseph at running back and the former Armwood uh, Armwood Hawk. There we go. Almost a blank on the Armwood mascot there, are former Armwood Hawk and E.J. Wilson. They're going to be the one two punch at running back.
0: All right. All right. Let's go to the defense. Heading into 2022. They were the, unfortunately, they were the third worst pass defense in the country in 2021 only 14 sacks which we talked about so lack of pressure puts even more pressure on the back four which probably played into that stat a lot um talk to me about the defense what what kind of de- what kind of defensive scheme is the new DC going to run aggressive zone what are they going what, what are they looking to do down there
4: Well, Mike McIntyre, the former defensive coordinator at Memphis, prior to coming here, you know he's a 3-4 guy. For the better part of the last decade, he's run 3-4. That's going to be the case here with Jovan DeWitt, who comes in as defensive coordinator. So it's an adjustment, you know, from guys when you recruit for a 4-3 to a 3-4 that definitely is an adjustment. I think, you know, these first four or five games are really gonna serve as an extended kind of growing process into that system. So it's gonna place a lot of pressure on that defensive line. Luckily they did bring in a few players in terms of the linebackers who have played in three, four systems prior. So they have experience, but I think the, 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 key to this defense is going to be the secondary, uh, if they can at least provide, you know, a steady presence and yes, they were bad in past defense last year. But part of that is because as you mentioned, you can't generate generate any pressure, you can't cover forever. Um, you know, if they can at least hold down things for the first quarter of the year until they get adjusted the front seven, that'll help things.
0: Looking at the schedule, obviously, you know, I don't, I don't think many people have high expectations for a ton of wins. Um, Couple winnable games on the schedule. You got Texas State in early September. You got UConn in October. Looking at the schedule, give me a couple places where you see, hey, they could win a game. And obviously, they, they they kick off the season on Thursday night next week with Bryant, or with this week with Bryant. Talk about the schedule a little bit and where there's some opportunity.
4: It absolutely is going to be in that first quarter of the year. They got to start with the win at Bryant. They, that's first and foremost. And that's yeah. a really uh, veteran team, but they got to start with the win. UConn. We know UConn is struggling. They're going to get them at home. New Mexico State, you know, Jerry Kill, surprised he took over that program because they really struggled under Doug Martin. Potential winnable games. Texas State, I'm still leaning more towards Texas State. They won last year in Miami. Of course, now they go to San Marcos. But, you know, a possible game. After that, I mean, their conference schedule, they get UTSA, they get Charlotte, they get some of the tougher teams in Conference USA. So that's going to be tough um maybe maybe a win with Louisiana Tech another team that's taking over a uh, Sonny Cumbie taking over there but I still think this is a three four win team at tops if all things get right
0: right and again to me for me as we wrap this up the thing I think in year one for Mike McIntyre is you want to establish a, a culture of good habits you're again you the wins on the field are not going to be exceptional probably uh, barring a barring something unforeseen but establishing a culture, establishing good work habits, establishing some recruiting base in that in that part of the state and around the state, just your general thoughts of what they need to do with the staff to get the program, at least going in the, with a trajectory going upward.
4: Again, I think you hit the nail on the head. This year is the foundational year. As I mentioned, when you lose 41 guys, yep. there were you know walk-ons being added to this roster as recently as the beginning of fall. So it's just going to be a matter of replenishing the roster This is a very, very underclassman heavy roster. So getting those young guys who have not played at this level, getting them experience. And then again, if you can, at least, as you mentioned, you haven't won a lot of games in a while, get a few wins here or there and build some confidence. That to me is a success heading into year two. And
0: I think, and I think you're going to see from the administration that they understand this is probably a four or five year project to build this thing back up. I mean, FIU's had some, had some good teams and some good runs, you know, with Butch Davis, maybe they were trying to st- st- step a little bit out of their lane, a little bit, given the given the, s- the surroundings with Miami, FAU, and those kind of things. But build—you got to build this program slowly. Does the fan base in the in the in the in the, bo- in the boosters understand that, or do they have the mentality of we want to be good today and help hell help bent whatever we t- got to do to do it? What is the fan base reality? Do they understand? Do they un- I th- do they understand where they're at?
4: That's an iffy question. I think you have a fan base that they're willing to extend a leash because they understand um, a new coach, new AD. They weren't happy with the old regime. That'll buy them a year. But just to be transparent with you, you have a lot of, if you look at FAU, UCF, USF, they all have had much more success in roughly the same period of time as FBS programs than FIU that has had little to no success in 21 years. So I do think after this year, that leash could get short
0: here. And here's one thing I will say that probably will be a benefit to them. And they may not even realize it yet with Mario Cristobal being at Miami and a former FIU guy, that could be a pipeline to where if Mario realizes that some kids maybe can't play at Miami or aren't good enough, that might be an easy pipeline to say, Hey, Go to a place that I've been to. Here's a place, a, a natural landing spot for you. So I think they're going to have a real opportunity in the transfer portal in the next couple of years to get some of those kids, maybe that don't pan out at Miami, Florida State, or Florida.
4: Undoubtedly. Most definitely.
0: All right, Eric. Great work, man. Appreciate the uh, the time. Again, tell everybody where they can find you and all that good stuff online.
4: Yeah. You can find my FIU coverage and conference USA coverage at underdog dynasty, which is SB nation's home for group of five football coverage. And find me on Twitter at Eric C. Henry underscore.
0: And give us the name of the podcast, the CUSA podcast.
4: Yeah. That is the underdog dynasty conference USA podcast.
0: There you go. Check it out on all your podcast platforms. Well, Eric, great work. We will have you on throughout the year uh, periodically uh, to give us some more updates and uh, you, you are dialed into the college football scene, not just FIU. And, Obviously, you're a Tampa guy, so you're, you you go to the top <laughs> of the list, man.
4: <laughs> like to hear that, man. appreciate it. Take care, buddy.
0: You got it, man, Eric. Have a great week, and good luck with the, with the Panthers.
1: Absolutely.
0: Thanks for listening to the Florida Football Insiders Podcast as part of the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Podcast Net- Network. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review if you've not already done so. And you can reach out to me on Twitter at sports. Love to hear your comments and feedback about our episodes and any program suggestions moving forward. Check out our video interviews as well on my YouTube channel, Jason Powers Sports Channel. And we'll see you next week on the Florida Football Insiders Podcast.